Hubert. Hubert. Saint Hubert. It's this. It's yeah, Saint Hubert. <laughs> tu me donnes le goût. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, and welcome Welk. to Let's Boop Snoots. I'm Heidi. And I'm Vero. And have we got a show for you today. <laughs> grab a drink, grab a snacky, grab what some was nibblies. Some nibblies. Some nibblies. And hunker down for a lesson in the history of doggles. Mm. <laughs> What was that show that they used to have where it was like a d- super boring dude would like pull up a wingback chair by the fire with a pipe and he'd be like, and now for a lesson and blah, blah, blah. Oh, yeah. It was like the something like tales or I forget. Anyways, that's what we're doing today, <laughs> folks. Grab your pipes and your house coats, nuzzle up fire. by the fire and get ready for a tale. So I am going to just apologize right out there in advance. I am not a history buff at all. My husband, however, is. He's a history teacher. And if he ever listens to this episode, he's probably just going to shake his head at me because I don't know what a lot of this stuff means. But, like, I'm I'm taking you back, folks, 45,000 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> We're starting there. But actually, um, I'll tell you about this website that I found. So... I was just Googling like sort of like the the historical roles of dogs and stuff like that. And I found this really awesome website and it's really cool. And I've been scrolling through it and I will share with y'all and try to summarize and point out main stuff, but it's called 50 major milestones from the history of dogs. Hmm. So it starts out by introducing just saying long before human beings domesticated chickens and bred cattle and raised camels, llamas, goats, bison, sheep, ducks, and lambs, they formed a relationship (laughs) with an animal that would become early man's partner on the road to world domination. (laughs) So it's real. What's really awesome about this is that they sort of take, take it to these 50 just defining moments for how dogs came to where we are today which is a multi-billion dollar industry (laughs) yeah yeah and there's like artwork from all of it which is like super cool oh yeah so the first one uh so it starts like i said nuzzle up Forty-five thousand years ago and it says castaway wolves find comfort in close human contact so it says, upon arriving in Europe around 45,000 years ago, modern humans competed mainly with Neanderthal cousins and wolves as the top predators. And uh, they had to survive these. And there was like packs of wolves and stuff like this around. And scientists believe that at some point, vulnerable stray wolves exiled from their packs began following uh, close to groups of humans and scavenging like the bones and oh. s- stuff like surviving off of basically like human leftovers so um, and humans began to benefit from their presence so like the lone wolves that followed them alerted their tribes to encroaching wild pred- predators neanderthals and like rival groups of humans so it and then it shows like i said there's a piece of artwork for like every single thing that it shows here so like it shows <laughs> It's just super cool. And then there's like cave drawings and there's like first artwork. It's almost like the humans have tails. Which one are you looking at? The first one with the super dark dogo in it or the second one? The second one. Yeah. Yeah. The second one, it does look like the humans have tails. You're right. I wonder if that's like their clothing, their loincloths. It's like a sash, like a belt Mm -hmm. sashy. So the next part, it takes us to 15,000 to 40,000 years ago, and it says the first dogs evolve. So um, human beings were in direct competition and conflict with wolves for time immemorial, both killing wolves and being killed by their packs. So according to Smithsonian Magazine, and like they research like a lot of this stuff too, which is really cool. So it says, according to Smithsonian Magazine, both gray wolves and the animals that would become that would come to be known as dogs evolved from a single now extinct species of wolf. So the former would be one of humanity's greatest adversaries and the latter would become its most important partner in the animal kingdom. And they say that dogs act like, like puppy wolves. Yes. Like that's what they act like. 
I know. Just like a bunch of baby wolves. Baby wolves. BWs. <laughs> All right. So the next one, it takes us uh, 15,000 to 40,000 years ago again, and dogs become humanity's first domestic animal. So scientists can't agree exactly why or when, but at some point in the late Stone Age, before the agricultural revolution, uh, human hunter and gatherers formed a symbiotic partnership with the direct descendants of their oldest rivals. So with loyal dogs at their sides, homo sapiens with modern human brains would now leverage the senses and instincts of the wild wolves. So the moment stands with the dom domestication of fire as one of the most important milestones in human history that helped take the species out of the food chain. So humans and oh. their dogs would soon rule the world. <laughs> I ain't seen nothing about cats in here. <laughs> I'm sure there's one for cats as well. Oh, probably. All right. So next up is 6,400 to 14,000 years ago. Dogs and become Cleo long legs. Yes, you see Cleo. Dogs become globe trotters. Okay. So, um, it, according to the Atlantic, which I guess is like some sort of information source, it's likely that there was more than one domestication event. Although Smithsonian concedes a scientific disagreement on that point, the multiple domestication theory states that humans domesticated early wolf descendants in both the East and the West independently around the same time, and this created a fork in the DNA of dogs, which were continuously bred both with each other and with wolves in both the East and West, creating a menagerie of different dog species. Hmm. Hmm. That's how it all started. Yals. Mm. I love seeing like all the photos. It's cool photos, eh? Yeah. So 12,000 years ago, this is where the agricultural revolution changes. So instead of like, you know, being nomads and going all over the place, about 10,000 BC, um, we started becoming stationary farmers. So the dogs settled down with these farmers. And according to the Gettysburgian, the most dramatic societal change in the history of human beings forever altered the genes of both man and dog. Because you can, you know what's coming next. Right? Right? You get a farm. Yeah. So yeah. 10,000 years ago, this is the next moment, is dogs get jobs. I think this so, is my favorite picture so far. <laughs> it's like what are they all doing i know <laughs> it looks like they're just having a big old dog hang i know <laughs> that's like, the, like it's the original bruce pit <laughs> <laughs> the one first dog like park a, there's like a little little bowl with water in it and one has like one dog has a foot in it it's like they're washing his his little paws exactly and the other one has like a spiky collar I should I should show this to Gibbon. See, they were washing their paws a long time ago, buddy. Time to get with it. Yeah, <laughs> they're toweling off the like the back legs. Oh. <laughs> I know it's so funny. So, um, the agricultural revolution uh, signaled the arrival of specialist dogs that did more than follow sense and make noise when danger was near. So, when they started settling down onto farms and stuff, humans bred dogs with characteristics favorable to specific agricultural tasks like herding mm. mm -hmm. instead of eating them like their wolf ancestors, protecting chickens, pigs, and other farm animals, finding lost animals, and terrorizing and killing pests like mice and rats. Yeah. Ooh. What's the, um, I think we talked about rat, like hunters, right? And I can't uh, remember. They, like they put the dogs in the barns. Oh. I can't remember what it's called, but it's a. Uh, there's like a specific yeah, there's thing, a term like, for it <laughs> term for it yeah yeah so the next one i found interesting and it's like a very breed specific so eight thousand years ago the basenji arrives Ooh. so it's the original dog that has diverged from a common ancestor with the gray wolf wait around eight thousand years ago the original dog that had diverged from a common ancestor with the gray wolf had gone extinct around that time the basenji emerged as the first and oldest modern dog species Smart and independent, the so-called African barkless dog is still recognized by the AKC. Barkless dog. Yeah, I've heard of them because yeah, because they don't bark. I remember talking about that on one of our episodes. Hmm. The Basanje. I was obviously listening. <laughs> <laughs> the Basanje does not bark. Cool. 
6,000 years ago, dogs go urban. So the agricultural revolution gave humans an unprecedented level of food security so that the first time in history, people could like make large permanent settlements. So the first large scale civilizations arrived with the Sumerians and Mesopotamia around 4,000 BC. And by this point, wherever people went, dogs went too. Man's best friend has been a common sight in cities for as long as cities have existed. Yep. Yep, 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 yep. Do you see? Do you see the next one? Yeah, this is what that talks about. Dogs get leashes and collars. It's like this, like stone um, imprint, like image of somebody holding a dog, and the dog looks like very big, <laughs> very big, and <laughs> that's my big beefcake. Yeah. That's my kind of corso right there. <laughs> yeah, that's what it looks like. <laughs> it does, and it probably is because it's talking about Rome, and they were Roman war dogs, mm. which I'm kind of getting ahead of myself here. But anyways. So 5,300 years ago, dogs get leashes and collars. The early Mesopotamians urbanized dogs and city dogs need leash, leashes and collars. According to the ancient history encyclopedia, dogs are depicted wearing leashes and collars and antiquity artwork from Rome to China. It was the Sumerians who invented the world's most familiar dog accessories around 3,300 BC. Crazy, eh? Yeah, that's interesting. I know. And then here we, and then here we, uh, now we're starting to get into some of this stuff here. So 5,000 years ago, Eastern dogs win the genetic war. So at some point, according to the Atlantic, the dogs in the East and their human masters began winning the biological battle of genetics. Today, just 10% of the planet's dogs trace their DNA to that of ancient Western dogs, which have since become extinct. (laughs) And this is a statue of a standing dog from central China in the late Han dynasty crazy just so crazy yeah I lo- i'm just loving the art yeah so four thousand years ago ancient dogs enter human literature so long before clifford the big red dog <laughs> there was the show dog and why the dog is subservient to man these two ancient tablet based texts were written around 2000 bc long before aesop's fables made dogs a common subject of literature once again early dog lovers had the sumerians to thank so what kind of dog is this i know it's like a little yorkie it looks like a slash well i i think it looks like a like a king charles cavalier kind of like he's all curly and like sort of like um long ears like like spaniel-y yeah Mm -hmm. all right so four thousand years ago dogs as deities The ancient Mesopotamians were the first human societies known to deify dogs and include versions of dogs among their gods and their religious practices. Later cultures across the world in the ages would do the same thing. Dogs, dog-human hybrids, and dog-related imagery played a role in mythology in Babylonian, Egyptian, Greek, Aztec, Norse, and Hindu cultures. So the, Mm. the photo that they chose for this one is Anubis warming the heart of the deceased. And it's so there's like somebody... Like, you know, like the ancient, like, Egyptian tombs that you see that are, like, in the form of, like, a human. And then there's, like, a dude with, like, a dog head, like the Anubis. Yeah. That's comforting. So, very interesting. It's very, very interesting. I would really like to go to Egypt. Me too. All right. So let's this, go. Yeah. Let's go. Let's go. On a doggo trip to Egypt. We're here to learn about <laughs> dogs, the history of dogs. <laughs> All right. So this one, um, AD, 43 AD, dogs take to the battlefield. And this is where my conic corso comes in. Rome, whose armies had already been using dogs as military animals, invaded Britain. Although the Romans won the battle, the tribes of Britannia terrorized and inspired the Romans with their far more ferocious and battle-ready canines. The Romans soon began placing a much heavier focus on the integrating of dogs into their strategies of military conquest. Yeah. Yeah. Look at that scary yeah, yeah, dog. Yeah. yeah, look at that scary dog. So in the first century, the military dog market emerges. So once the Romans placed a premium on warrior dogs, breeders and traders across Europe began mating, mixing, and selling breeds specifically bred and trained for use by the Euro- Roman military in sprawling European war dog markets. 
Many wound up on the battlefield fighting alongside their masters in Roman legions. Many others, however, were doomed to compete in the gruesome spectacles that were Roman gladiator shows where oh, dogs yeah. were pitted against other animals and even humans in mortal combat. Oh. Yeah, I think we talked about that at some point. Yes, yes. And there's, <sighs> there is a photo coming up that's like really gross too. It's like not a real photo, obviously. It's like a painting, but uh, of something else that's coming up that grossed me out. But this next photo is so cute. I'm like, <laughs> like I, I don't like... see it. No, not yet. But wait, to... this one's super cute. So in the seventh century, Saint Hubert breeds his hounds. So in the seventh century, a French monk named Hubert, later to be sainted, began breeding what would be known as Saint Hubert's hounds, large, robust dogs. These early scent hounds were bred and trained to recognize and pursue specific individual scents over great distances. They are believed to be the original ancestor of all modern bloodhounds. And St. Hubert is known as the patron the patron saint of hunters. Hmm. Hubert. Hubert. St. Hubert. It's this. It's, yeah, St. Hubert. Tu me donnes le goût. For all of our American listeners, Saint Hubert is a like um, fast food chain kind of like it yeah, would be the equivalent like to like chicken. Kelsey's or like Chili's or TGIFs or yeah but stuff like, like that. Chicken, chicken fingers yeah. and roasted chicken, mm-hmm. chicken sandwiches, chicken, chicken, chicken. Imagine if it's all dog meat. Oh, <laughs> Saint Hubert. <laughs> So this is the next one I was telling you about. So this is, it's the 12th century. Baiting emerges as European pastime. Mm. Bait, what is baiting, one might ask? Well, it is a blood sport that would be considered cruel and gruesome even by the standards of the ancient Romans. And it went mainstream in England. And large crowds gathered in arenas to watch packs of hungry, provoked dogs torment, terrorize, and tear apart larger animals, most notably bears and bulls, that were chained and defenseless. That is so gross. It's one of the darker chapters in the long, disturbing history of blood sport entertainment. And the era would have a dramatic impact on the future of dog welfare. It's pretty gross. I can't imagine that. Can you imagine trying to get them to kill a bear and the bear no. probably swipes at them and they're all like injured and nasty all right oh. 1493 y'all european dogs travel to the new world so on christopher columbus's second voyage to the americas he and his crew brought 20 greyhounds and mastiffs, Ooh. mastiffs. <laughs> mastiffs. <laughs> the first european dog ever to set foot in the new world they brought dogs for two reasons, to use them as guinea pigs for testing unfamiliar food and to intimidate and terrorize natives that lived on islands like Hispanolia. Columbus and his men embarked on a campaign of subjugation, mass murder, rape, and enslavement of New World natives, and they used dogs to track escapees and to maul and to death cap- captured rebels as an example to others yeah. or simply for entertainment. You're disgusting, Christopher Columbus. Yeah, that is disgusting. You are- Disgusting. Diggerless. And in the 16th century, hounds become human trackers. So, since the time of Saint Hubert, hounds with their powerful noses, scent trapping folds of skin, and solemn bloodshot eyes had been used to track boars, deer, and other common human prey. In the 16th century, however, humans began using modern bloodhounds to relentlessly track other humans, including escaped prisoners, fleeing warriors, and most notably runaway slaves. It's hard to imagine that any sound was more terrifying to an escaped enslaved person than the bang of approaching bloodhounds, which were used by cruel masters to track, torment, and terrorize captive laborers throughout the history of transatlantic slavery. And, you know, like, like on that note, you know, you meet different people like especially people who are newly immigrated to the country like this is like a prime example of how dogs are used for different things even still Mm -hmm. to this day so dogs are like super intimidating to people when they're because some of them are still used as like military and enforcement like dogs and dogs can be scary when they're trained to do stuff like that yeah you know you know i agree in the 1750s the guide dog movement is born So in the 1750s, professionals working at a Paris hospital for the blind began training dogs to aid and guide visually impaired humans. In 1819, an Austrian named Johann Wilhelm Klein, (laughs) 
<laughs> who started the Institute for the Training of the Blind in Vienna, published the first guide dog training manual, complete with instructions on incorporating a special harness and a pole, a technique that is still in use today. That's cool. Cool. That is cool. I want to wow. look up that book, the manual, the guide dog training manual. Good for yeah. you. Way to go, okay. Johann Wilhelm Klein. <laughs> yes, yes. In the late 18th century, the modern dog sledding is born. It's believed that indigenous northern Canadian Inuit people incorporated load-hauling dogs into their lives and work as early as 1980 BC, but Russian explorers in Alaska are credited with bringing dog sledding into the modern era in the late 1700s. The Russians trained a lead dog or alpha dog to respond to specific commands and keep the subordinate dogs in the pack in line and working hard. Dogs would become to people in frozen snowy climates what camels were to Arab merchants in the Middle East. The backbone of commerce, trade, travel, and communication over descents. Cool. Yeah. Uh Uh-oh, this looks like another disgusting one coming up next. Oh, yeah. Oh, God. Yeah. Yeah. Here we go. 1835, modern dogfighting emerges. In 1835, the British Parliament outlawed the gruesome entertainment sport of baiting, which involved ravenous dogs being turned on chained bears and bulls. The move came after a shift in public sentiment regarding the brutality of the spectacle and a dwindling population of bearers. While good for the larger animals, the same can't be said for dogs. Revelers then simply began pitting dogs against other dogs for sport and wagering on the outcome, a practice that still continues underground to this day. Thanks, Britain. Thanks. You dum dums. <laughs> oh, look at this one. That's still happening. I can't believe and I can't... people find that entertaining. Yeah, neither can I. I just don't get it. Like, there's there's definitely two kinds of people in this world. The kind of people that go looking for underground dog fighting to make a little bit of money. And the people that can't even watch, like, the Planet Earth series when, like, animals in nature are, like, catching their food. Yeah. <laughs> like a lion catching, like, a deer. People are like, yeah. no, 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 don't do it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh. In the 1850s, this is shocking, the pit bull earns its reputation involuntarily. Dogfighting quickly gained popularity around the world, including in the pre-Civil War United States. During that era, dogs were bred for characteristics specific to dogfighting in an effort to develop the fiercest, most aggressive, and most durable breed for the brutal spectacle of dog-on-dog death matches. What emerged was the American Pitbull Terrier. Shame yeah. on you, America. America. We have uh, an episode about dogfighting. We do. We do. Go check it out, y'all. Now, what is this? 1866, the ASPCA is formed. In 1866, an American diplomat named Henry Berg resigned his government post and dedicated his life to his passion of protecting vulnerable animals, which were worked in every field of agriculture and industry in often deplorable conditions without any protections or legal standing. Berg founded the American Society for the Prevention of Cruelty to Animals. Yeah, Henry Berg. Which worked to raise awareness and advocate for animal abuse legislation. Its original mission was to protect horses, but it would soon evolve to include all animals in its mission. Fewer notably than, few more notably than the venerable dog. Oh Way my go. god, Henry Burke, y'all. I see what this one is next. Ooh, I can't believe how old that is. That's crazy. I know. 18, 1877, <laughs> the first Westminster Kennel Club dog show. Wow. wow. At Madison Square Garden. <laughs> Holy crap. Yeah. The Westminster Kennel Club Dog Show held every year at New York City's Madison Square Garden. It is known as America's Dog Show around the world and traces its roots to 1877. That year, the Westminster Kennel Club staged a show designed to find the best of purebred dogs in all breed competition at Gilmore's Garden, the previous incarnation of Madison Square Garden. Held annually with no exceptions, including through World War II and the Great Depression, only the Kentucky Derby can boast a longer continuous run by just two years. Interesting. Hmm. Should we start another podcast, a horse show? (laughs) (laughs) Yes. How about nay, ladies, nay? (laughs) Let's nay. I don't know. What will we call it? Uh, what do you what do you call like a horse's mouth? 
again? What is it called? Like they're see, I, clearly we cannot do this podcast. <laughs> oh, let's ride backs. Let's <laughs> ride. Let's ride backs. <laughs> All right. 1878, the original nine. In 1878, Westminster and the other big 19th century century kennel clubs officially recognized nine charter breeds of dogs, most of which were among the in-demand hunting breeds of the day. They were the Gordon Setter, English Setter, Irish Setter, Irish Water Spaniel, Sussex Spaniel, Cocker Spaniel, Clumber Spaniel, and Chesapeake Bay Retriever, and the Pointer. Ooh, the Pointer! The original nine breeds would expand <laughs> continuously throughout the decades under the stewardship of what is considered the most important pedigree registry, the American Kennel Club. Cool. Oh, look at this nest picture of this lady with her little, it looks like a Frenchie. Little French, uh, Boston, uh, my like God. Like Boston or like, Boston yeah, Terrier? Boston Terrier. Yeah. The American Kennel Club is formed in 1884. Um, 12 officials from dog clubs across America held the first official meeting of the American Kennel Club. The AKC was formed to unify and regulate America's dog clubs, serve as a national registry for officially recognized breeds, and to sanction major dog shows, including Westminster. It remains the country's prominent organization dedicated to dogs. And it is the French Bulldog. It is a Frenchie. It is a Frenchie. Sorry. No, that's okay. I get mixed up between Boston's and... Uh, <laughs> Ooh, look at this next one. Oh, Ooh. I like it. 1899, dogs join the force. Oh, yes. As early as 1888, police in London used hounds to try to search for Jack the Ripper. What? <laughs> but they weren't trained in any differently than human tracking scent hounds had been for centuries. About a decade later in 1899, however, police officials in Ghent, Belgium, began formally training canines for work alongside law enforcement officers. It was the genesis of the modern canine cop. Cool. Cool. I love it. Look at this big dogo in the next, in the next picture. Yeah. Ooh. 1903. London publishes The Call of the Wild. In 1903, author Jack London wrote his masterpiece, and one of the great classic American novels, The Call of the Wild, tells the tale of Buck, a large St. Bernard Scotch Collie mix that was kidnapped from his cozy California home and sold to Canadian prospectors during the Klondike Gold Rush. The book, which honors the spirit of rugged perseverance and man's intimate relationship with dogs, captured America's imagination and gave birth to a new generation of dog lovers. Huh! Huh. We'll have to read that. Yeah. Interesting. The Call of the Wild. Mm -hmm. Maybe I'll just get the Coles notes on it. (laughs) (laughs) Got Ooh, a lot look of at these little ones. Yes, look at those. Are, are these the OG Chihuahuas? Mm-hmm. Yes, it is. <laughs> 1904, an ancient breed receives modern validation. No small dog has a bigger personality than the feisty and beloved Chihuahua. The breed that has evolved into the ultimate purse dog is one of the oldest canines in the Americas with roots dating back to pre-Columbian era. It remains a national symbol of Mexico and a fixture in the designer pocketbooks of socialites everywhere. Hmm. Meh. I don't like the Chihuahua. Not a fan of the Chihuahua. No. Not for me. But some people like them. Now we're talking here. 1908, the German Shepherd earns its place. Big, loyal, capable, confident, and supremely intelligent, the German Shepherd was first recognized by the AKC in 1908. The number two most popular dog behind only the Labrador Retriever. I would say that's probably still goes to this day. The German Shepherd is widely considered to be the most trainable, most reliable, and most competent all-purpose dog in the world by military agencies, law enforcement organizations, and civilian dog lovers alike. They are. They are. It's true. The G Shep is like your good, like, like all around dog. Like it's just a well-rounded yeah. dog. But because they're so smart and you can, they're so versatile. That's where people get into trouble with them. I can remember working with people at like one of my former jobs that got one, and like they clearly were not like stimulating it enough because they like tried to go out to the grocery store and they put them in the basement, and they came home and the door to the basement was torn off, and he had just like ravaged <laughs> at the house. Oh wow! So yeah, there's um, a six-month-old golden retriever puppy down the street, 
Mm-hmm. She's very cute. Her name is yes. Napa. Oh. Yeah, she's cute. We saw her today. What a cute little Napa. Napa. I want to take a nap with a Napa. <laughs> All right, 1917, America's favorite dog gets its due. The AKC recognized the Labrador Retriever as a distinct breed. It would go on to become one of the most popular and beloved dogs in American history. Amazingly, it has been the most popular breed in the country for nearly three decades decades straight. See? Yeah. I knew it. I knew it. Yeah. Ooh, what's this next one here? This next one, this next artwork is like very dramatic. It is. Oh, I love this. They're in the mountains. Yes, 1930s. Dogs become mountain rescuers. Oh, yeah. In the 1800s, European monks traveling through the Alps often brought St. Bernard's to lead the way. The big, sturdy dogs were known to sniff out and locate monks that fell down or became buried in snow. In the 1930s, the Swiss began training dogs, originally St. Bernard's, with their iconic neckhorn rescue barrels, specifically to locate and rescue people buried in avalanches. St. Bernard's were soon mostly replaced with different kinds of shepherds and retrievers, and avalanche rescue dogs still play critical roles on mountain retreats today. Did I ever tell you about how I used to go to Quebec City snowboarding, and they had a big St. Bernard at the top of the hill named Maggie, and she was so sweet. And when I would be sitting there putting my bindings on my snowboard, she would come and sit on the end of my snowboard, and I would just pet her, but she was just standing guard, like looking at everybody. Like you couldn't distract her. You could give her pets and stuff, and she just sat there just watching just guarding. Oh my god. Doing her thing. Yeah. So cute, Maggie. Yeah, Maggie. <laughs> we all know this next picture. At least I do. <laughs> it's my favorite childhood yep. movie. 1939, Toto Leaves Kansas. <laughs> August 25th, 1939 was a defining before and after moment in Hollywood history. That day, The Wizard of Oz hit theaters and raised the cinematic bar forever. Upon waking up in the magical land of Oz, Judy Garland's Dorothy uttered the phrase, Toto? I have a feeling we're not in Kansas anymore. (laughs) It stands as one of the greatest quotes ever uttered on the big screen, and the world's famous Karen Terrier remains one of the most beloved movie dogs in history. I disagree. I would say Lassie is one of the most favorite dogs in history. I think you're right. I mean, like, yeah, people get, like, the Toto, like, reference. Like, I'm sure he gets referenced a lot, but I wouldn't say he's the most beloved dog to hit the film. Probably. The Hollywood dog. All right. 1943, a dog is decorated. At the height of World War II, a German shepherd mix named Chips was awarded a Purple Heart, a distinguished service cross, and a silver star for his role in helping American troops take an enemy machine gun position and capture 10 Italian troops. He had also saved his handler's life. The gesture did not sit well with some human veterans, and Chips' medals were revoked. Aww. Aww. Although Chips later got his medals back, the War Department ruled that no other military dogs would ever receive official military medals. Lame! Why? I don't know. It's just like the dogs that are on the force, they, like, they get, like, a, like, a uh, officer's, like, burial, I'm pretty sure, like, when they're shot and stuff, and if you harm a dog on the force, I think it's, like, you're charged with, like, um, you know, um, what am I trying to say here? Like hurting an officer. Oh, good. I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure. (laughs) Like if you like, if you're, if you're like a criminal running away from the dog, but you turn around and you stab or you kill it, you're charged with like the death of an officer. Hmm. I'm pretty sure. I am pretty sure on that. We better look that up, but I'm pretty sure that's the way that goes. And here comes the next one. (laughs) 1952 Nixon makes the checkers speech I've never heard of this Me neither. on September 23rd 1952 a shrewd politician and California senator senator named Richard Nixon was the Republican candidate for vice president of the United States when he was accused of illegally using political donations for personal expenses in a speech seen by what was then television's largest ever audience he attacked his opponent opponents and denied the charges in a clever effort to humanize and endear himself to voters he insisted that no matter the consequences he would be keeping one item purchased with the funds checkers his beloved cocker spaniel (laughs) (laughs) it's a cute name for a dog checkers yeah i like it and he's and it looks like he's probably black and white yeah it does and as mentioned just 
minutes ago, 1954, Lassie begins its 20-year run. Few dogs have ever embodied the man's best friend concept more than Lassie, the namesake character of one of television's earliest defining shows. The trusty pet of the fictional Martin family, the iconic rough collie alerted her human companions to danger, saved lives, and ran to get help. Just as in real life, the people closest to her and an uncanny knack of understanding exactly what Lassie was trying to tell them. <laughs> Aww. So cute. That's super cute. She's cute. Lassie's pretty Look cute. Look at that long snoot. I know. And do you want to went where Gibbs, where the breeder that I got Gibbs from, they also breed Lassies. Oh yeah. Yep. Mm. I lo- and I love how people don't even call them by their breed name. Like when you yeah. say Lassie, that like that's what you they know. call like that breed. Like you know exactly what they're talking about. Yeah. A collie. All right. 1957. Dogs beat humans into outer space. What? On November 3rd, 1957, the United States was still reeling from the Soviet launch of the Sputnik satellite one month earlier. Eager to capitalize on Sputnik's propaganda value, the Soviets launched Sputnik 2, a much bigger craft with room for a very special passenger. That day, a dog named Laika became the first animal to orbit Earth, although the Russians made no effort to recover Laika, who probably died while in orbit. Oh. Oh. Why a dog? Yeah. Why? Poor Laika. Laika. Ooh, this is interesting. 1960s dogs double as therapists. The service dog concept had been around for centuries, but in the 1960s, researchers began experimenting with dogs serving people, not as guides or helpers, but as a form of living therapy. Mm. What they learned was that the elderly, the mentally disabled, people suffering from depression, trauma survivors, and many other populations dealing with mental anguish could experience relief just by being in the company of a well-trained canine. The era dog. I know. So happy. It does. And look at the, look, no mental anguish on that guy sitting there with him. <laughs> nope. <laughs> Lying that's down a re- by a tree. That's a really cute dog. Yeah. Ah, and here we go. 1963, <laughs> the world meets Clifford. In 1963, Scholastic published a children's book by author Norman Bridwell titled Clifford the Big Red Dog chronicling the unusual life of an enormous red Labrador retriever. The book became an instant classic, spawned a series, and launched a merchandising powerhouse while putting Scholastic in the big leagues of the publishing industry. To this day, Clifford is still the official Scholastic mascot. True. It's very true. I didn't I know he lo- was a mascot. Well, like, whenever, because, like, I can remember getting Scholastic books like in school. It was so exciting and we'd always have like this book fair and Scholastic would be there and like you'd Mm -hmm. beg your parents for like money and you would get like all the like old books on sale for like, you know, 50 cents or a dollar. Really dating myself here. And, uh, (laughs) but um, I remember when my kids started going to school and I was like, oh my God, Scholastic. And yes, like Clifford's all over everything. He is. He's like, I'm pretty sure they made like a logo with him. All right, 1969, the spaying and neutering era begins. In 1969, America's first low-cost spaying and neutering clinic for animals opened in Los Angeles. Sterilization was originally offered as a convenience for pet owners, but the procedure would soon become a paramount issue of the animal welfare movement. As the population of unwanted, neglected, abused, and homeless dogs grew larger every year, activists worked to change the public mindset on spaying and neutering. And do you remember who was one of the biggest like promoters of that? was bob barker on the price is right i can remember watching that every single day with my dad and he'd be like and remember folks to neuter and spay your animals right yep i love that (laughs) i remember that too now good old bob barker Ooh, and then in 1972 the aspca makes sterilization mandatory so just three, year later, three years later in 1972, the ASPCA required sterilization for all animals adopted from its massive network of shelters. Shelter intake rates began to drop almost immediately, and today, euthanasia rates for dogs and cats have dropped by 90% compared to 50 years ago. Wow. wow. 90%. Yeah, that's crazy. But it makes There's sense. a really like, cute dog in that picture. I know. One that looks like a stuffy. Yes. <laughs> And Yikes. there's a Becky. Is there kinda a Becky? Kind of looks like a Becky. Let me let me go back and look. There's a Becky over there. Oh yes, yeah, she does kind of look like a Becky. Oh yes. 
Oh, I'll have to tell you about what I had to do to poor Becky today. Oh, no. I had to shave her tail. <gasps> not not like completely. I wanted to. And Matt was like, no. And I'm like, no, I won't. <laughs> she would look ridiculous. <laughs> her tail was hot. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's because she. my dad takes her for a walk every day. And she every day she goes into the same bush with like the, the burrs in it. Oh, you know, the yeah. burrs. And they get all tangled in into her tail. And I developed this method of trying to work it out with a comb. But these ones were like matted, stuck down right into her skin. And to even touch them, she was like crying. So like I couldn't oh. even get in, get at them with, with the brush. So I just took the razor and I shaved it off and that didn't hurt her. Wow. Anyways, so she's got a funky looking tail right now. <laughs> All right. 1973, the world's most famous dog race begins. Uh, in 1973, mushers competed in the inaugural installment of what's known as the last great race on earth. The grueling, it, I don't know how to say this. Uh, Idita Rod Trail Sled Dog Race, which runs through nearly 1,000 miles of Alaskan wilderness from Anchorage to Nome. The competition is an, is an homage to the tens of thousands of prospectors, along with their countless trusty sled-pulling dogs, who flooded north northern Canada and Alaska in the late 19th century during the Klondike and Nome gold rushes. Hmm. That's a lot of miles. Interesting. Oh, oh, this one. At first, I thought this was something else. The next photo, I was like, I know who this is, but I don't. This was the first <laughs> movie I ever saw in the movie theaters as a child. 1974. Oh, yeah? Yep. Benji puts mutts on the map. The same year Lassie ended Ooh. its two-decade run on TV, a different dog barked his way into America's heart on the big screen. Just like Lassie, Benji had a knack for averting trouble and being on the right, being in the right place at the right time. But unlike the famous rough collie, the namesake character of the long-running Benji film franchise was no pedigree. The beloved mixed breed would become America's favorite mutt. It's true. He's a he cutie. He is a cutie. A cutesy hmm? patootsy. Oh, yes. My grandparents had a doggy named Benji. Did they? Yeah. It's a cute name for a little mutt dog, it too. Is. 1981. And I've never heard of this or saw this. I don't know if they made a movie. But anyways, uh, Stephen King publishes Cujo. Some fictional dogs are cute and fuzzy. Cujo is not one of them. Oh. Murphy's Law rules the day in the Stephen King tale of a 200-pound St. Bernard with rabies and a murderous fixation on a mother <laughs> and her child who are trapped inside a broken-down Ford Pinto. To this day, the name Cujo is synonymous with dogs that are not to be trifled with and are dangerous. True story. I should have named Ralph Cujo. <laughs> <laughs> well, I wonder if people name like their like super tiny, cute purse dogs Cujo. That would be hilarious. That would be funny. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh my goodness. 1989. I would, I would say this rivals like the Labrador Retriever. Yeah as favorite dog of the world 1989 the labradoodle arrives in 1989 dog guide dog breeder wally conron attempted to create a dander free non-shedding guide dog for blind allergy sufferers the result was an utterly adorable service animal with the work abilities of a labrador retriever and the clean coat of a poodle the labradoodle one of the most famous and controversial hybrid species in modern history was born or created it's they're adorable you they can't are adorable nobody can nobody can argue that they're very cute and that that no. was like a brilliant idea although like you know at what point is it like you're playing god you know you're messing with nature yeah but all right 1990s <laughs> the no kill movement emerges by the last decade by the uh, yeah, by the last decade of the 20th century, the ASPCA's mandatory spay neuter program was so successful in reducing shelter intake that something became possible that would have been unimaginable just a few decades earlier. The organization launched what came to be known as the No Kill Movement, a policy that compelled shelters to reevaluate the need to euthanize healthy animals. Hmm. 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 That's good. That is good. Do they though? Well, I, I think they that do. they, I think like, they still do. 
Hmm, maybe we should ask one of ours because I don't know if that's what it's like. Maybe it's just a movement, but I'm sure a lot of shelters in different places still are, If they, especially if they have yeah. like huge numbers and especially like, you know, when everybody buys a dog during a pandemic and doesn't know what to do with it. <laughs> yeah. Like already, like, you know, the pandemic has wreaked havoc because like nobody can find a vet right now. I don't know if it's the same in the States, but I know in our city where we are, it's like nobody can find a vet willing to take animals in like they're completely like overloaded yeah because everybody got a dog everybody got a dog everybody get in dogs woof (laughs) everybody should get into vet school (laughs) yes we should if only we saw this pandemic coming like however long it takes to do veterinarian school (laughs) and I think I mentioned this on an episode too but one of the residents that I work with at the hospital dealing with human medicine his sister was becoming a veterinary a veterinarian and he said that like her studies were like way harder than his because they have to know about all of the different species it's not just like dogs and cats right right Hmm. Can can you imagine being like hello I am a tarantula veterinarian (laughs) Let me yeah. see them legs, buddy. That would literally be my worst nightmare. Oh. All right. 2001 9-11 dogs offer hope in times of terror. On September 11th, 2001, there was little reason for hope or happiness, but an army of canines known simply as the 9-11 dogs offered a glimmer of both on that dark day and the ensuing weeks and months some searched the rubble for survivors others for bombs others for bodies some were there only to provide comfort and companionship to distressed rescuers and first responders they had names like Bertang, riley guinness kobe apollo thunder and sage before 9 11 most americans had never heard of disaster search dogs true hmm. yeah very very true Oh my God, look at this little thing next. Oh my God. (laughs) Dogs find, in in the 2000s, dogs find internet fame. The arrival of social media and sites such as YouTube gave rise to a new kind of superstar, dogs that were internet famous. From the odd to the adorable pooches like Tuna, Boo, Digby, Van Winkle, and Lentil went viral the world over and sometimes made very rich humans out of their owners. Yeah. Yep. We talked about tuna. We did, eh? Yeah. I think it's tuna melts my heart or something like that. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> he's, oh, he's wow. Funny. I can't believe how recent this is. So in 2010, oh. dogs sniff out disease. A series of scientific studies in the 2010s revealed that dogs and their incredibly sensitive noses might hold the key to a 21st century medical revolution. Some breeds of dogs, as it turns out, are incredibly adept at physically smelling the presence of infections, diseases, and other ailments, including malaria and cancer, on patients and even in the clothing of the afflicted. Amazing. Wow. Oh my God, look at this next photo. It's so cute. <laughs> it's so cute. Those big fluffy paws. Oh my god. 2020, the AKC greets two new arrivals. The AKC currently recognizes 195 distinct dog breeds. The most recent inductees are the Barbet and the Dogo Argentino, both inducted in 2020. The Azawak joined the club in 2019. And in 2018, the AKC recognized the Netherlands. And the Grand Bassett Griffin Vendine. Which one is this on the picture? I don't know. Because it looks like a doodle. Yeah. It does look like a doodle. We'll have to search those ones. That Azawak. Azawak. Well, that was interesting. Where all the dogos came from. I know. And how they were like integrated and um, I, like how I they think were helping it's... human. Yes. I think it's pretty in cool. people's lives and. Yeah. I I liked the artwork, of course. <laughs> Makes me sound like such a dumb dumb. I like the pictures. <laughs> I like the pictures. What was your favorite part of the book? The pictures. <laughs> I love, like, all the, like, ancient ones and, like, the cave drawings and stuff. Like, it's just interesting, right? Mm-hmm. 
I feel like I should go like draw stuff on like stone somewhere for someone to find like in a thousand years or so and be like, this Heidi chick was crazy. <laughs> crazy about a dogs. <laughs> <laughs> what would you, what would you write? I don't know. What would we write that we would net? We feel that in like, I don't know, 10,000 years, they would be like, oh, there's a picture of this. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. That's hard to say. Probably of like, <laughs> do I know what I'm surprised wasn't in there as like one of like, like, I, I wonder if there's like a separate or I would be willing to create a separate web page that showed like, like the top 50 moments of canines in Hollywood. Because oh, like yeah. one of the other classic moments is in Lady and the Tramp, man. Come on. How did they not mention that? Yeah. You Maybe know, the spaghetti it's... moment where they suck on the <laughs> noodle and they kids. <laughs> Well, they, they talked about Clifford. Dogs? That's true. They, talk, they talked about Clifford. That's true. Yells. He's not an actual dog. But it's just like how... Is he, though? Maybe he's... <laughs> a red... Oh, my God. A or, massive or we red could... Labrador? Oh, my God. Could you imagine? <laughs> oh, my God. Or we can try to breed that, just like the guy who invented the Labradoodle. <laughs> we'll go find, like, a red dog of some kind and then breed it with, like, a Cane Corso and try to make a giant... Lab Labrador Retriever. <laughs> <laughs> we would need like a red, like you know, like the red goldens. Yeah. And then we would need like a big dog of some kind, like a Dane. Hmm. 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 Interesting. <laughs> but uh Yals. Yals. I thought I thought that was worthwhile sharing. Yeah. No, that was interesting. The 50 major milestones from the history of dogs. I like it. Mm -hmm. Is that a wrap? I think that's a wrap. All right. Well, join us next week on Let's Boobs News. <laughs>